May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The book of Esther is one of my absolute favorites. You could not make this up. It is full of ups and downs and twists and turns and drama of all sorts. In our reading, we caught the very last bit of this story. So I'm going to offer us a whistle-stop of the whole book of Esther. Are you ready? In the third year of the reign of the Persian king, Xerxes, or Azurus, king of Persia, he had a lavish feast which lasted for seven whole days. At the end of the seven days, the king ordered his queen, Vashti, to parade in front of all of his guests because she was so beautiful. The queen, Vashti, refused. She didn't want to degrade herself, and quite frankly, neither should she. To cut a long story short, the king banished her. The king then wanted another wife to replace her, and so he held, essentially, a beauty pageant. He ordered all the fair women who were virgins in the land to come to the palace and parade before him. And then he saw Esther. She was very beautiful. She was Jewish, she had no mother or father, and she lived with her kind and loving uncle, Mordecai. Esther was humble and didn't say to the king that she was a Jew. The king looked at her and fell in love. I know, it's beautiful. And they married. Sometime later, the king's senior officer, Haman, was promoted by the king. And he asked everyone to bow to him. But Mordecai, who had morals and principles, refused to bow before Haman. After all, Haman was not the king. Haman got very angry and said, Who is this man? He learned that he was Mordecai, a Jew, not a Persian. And so Haman wanted to punish this man, Mordecai, who would not bow to him, and decided that he would not only punish Mordecai, but he would punish all the Jews. And so he decided that he would kill all the Jews in the kingdom of Ahasuerus. Haman approached the Persian king with a plan. He said that the Jews break all the laws and do not listen to the king and therefore undermine the king's authority and they must die. He said to the king that he should kill all the Jews and that he would give the king all the wealth and possessions of the Jews once he had done that. The king agreed to destroy all the Jews, even the women and children, in one day. Haman delivered the decree from the king and letters went out to every Jew, telling them what was about to happen. When Mordecai received the news, he was mortified. He went to the gate of the king and begged. Esther heard of this. The maids told her and Esther went and asked someone to approach Mordecai. He explained that Haman had said that he wanted to kill all the Jews and share the money with the king. Esther began to worry and said, well, what can I do? 
Everyone knows that the king is a fierce man. And if you go to him uninvited or even dare to disobey him, the penalty is death. She remembered Queen Vashti who refused to approach her husband, the king, and she was banished. Esther said, what can I do? But Mordecai begged her, do not think of yourself, he said, but think of the people. Esther then said to Mordecai, go and tell all the Jews to fast from food and drink for three days, and I will go to the king. And if I perish, I perish. On the third day, Esther went to the king. And when the king saw Esther, he gave her permission to enter and invited her in. Strike one, that's good news. Esther went in and said, I would like to invite you, the king, and Haman to a feast that I wish to prepare in your honor that eve the following evening. Haman heard of the invitation, was very pleased and thought that he might even have another promotion. But then when he heard that Mordecai had been invited also, he was very angry and sought to kill Mordecai. That evening, he ordered his servants to build gallows in order to hang Mordecai. That same evening, the king could not sleep. He tossed and turned in his bed and asked for his servants to bring him the book of Chronicles, where the history is written. The king read the book of Chronicles, and in it he discovered that Mordecai had saved his life. There was a palace plot to assassinate the king, and Mordecai had alerted the servants and therefore saved the king's life. The following morning, the king summoned Haman and said, I wish to honor the man who saved my life. Haman, thinking it was him, said, Who is this man? The king said, Mordecai, the Jew. I mean, you couldn't make this up, could you? Mordecai, the Jew. Go to him with a horse and parade him through the city. Give him robes and a crown, for he saved my life. So Haman did what was instructed. Esther went to the king and said that someone wanted to destroy the Jews. The king asked Esther who this was. And Esther said, the wicked man, Haman. The king was very angry. Haman heard of this and went to Esther to plead for his life. He did not know that Esther was a Jew also. As he went into the room and pleaded, Esther was reclining on a sofa or a lounge, lounger. And so he leant in and pleaded for her. He was pleading so much that he fell over onto her, just at the point where the king entered. I know. The king saw Haman reclining over his wife, Esther, and was furious and said, not only do you try to kill the servant who saved my life, but you also try to take advantage of my wife. The king ordered the soldiers to take Haman away and hang him on the very gallows that he built to destroy Mordecai. Esther then knew what she had to do. She plucked up the courage and went to the king and said, 
I also am a Jew. She begged the king to destroy the letters that had been sent out to all the Jews. And the king agreed. Esther was then given Haman's house as a gift and honored with glory and praise. I love this story. I mean, this is better than EastEnders and Emmerdale and all the others put together. There are so many twists and turns and ups and downs and portrayal of relationships. But there are some key aspects of this story that I absolutely love. The first is the role of women, mainly because I am a woman. In a time in society where women were denigrated, where women weren't even allowed in certain rooms in their own homes. Queen Vashti is paraded around in what could only be called a Miss World competition. And then Esther is also paraded around in what could only be called a beauty pageant. These, there are only two books in the Bible that are named after women. This one and the book of Ruth. In this story, we see the courage of Esther, who time and time again, through adversity as a woman, she overcomes the systems and the structures of injustice. And she does this as a woman, not as a queen, because that title, as we see with Queen Vashti, can be removed at any moment. She does this all as a woman to save her people from destruction. And we mustn't forget that women today in parts of the world live in the same systems of systematic injustice, which means that they too cannot flourish. There is an issue here to do with race and identity, again, personal to me. Esther is a Jew in a Persian world, and Mordecai is a Jew. They live in a world where there are insiders and outsiders. And this is deeply political. It's something that seems to plague us in our world time and time again. If it's not through issues of the Holocaust, which are incredibly real, then it's certain people in certain countries wishing to build a wall, or in views around Brexit that mean that it's us and them, rather than working together. Regardless of your politics, there is a system of thinking in our world that is about us and them. And these things are incredibly real. It's the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned. And yet God is so present in all of the actions that seem to come together. Much like politics where God is absent and yet so present in the world. So the absence of the mention of God doesn't mean that God doesn't work and move in the lives of the people who serve him or her. So this is very real. And an example of that is in the Jewish culture. In Judaism today, this is one of the most common and popular books of the Bible, the book of Esther. Jewish people every year have a festival called Purim. It's a Jewish festival that lasts for three days, and it happens in early March. I don't know if you've heard of this festival. 
Jewish people read the Bible of Esther publicly, that's out loud, twice through at this festival. They commemorate the Jewish people. And then they take a tablet and they write on the tablet the letter H. And they put the tablet on the floor and they stamp on the tablet twice on this letter H to stamp out the two people that tried to eradicate the Jews, Hitler and Haman, the people who tried to exterminate the Jewish people. So this ancient story takes root even now in a people and a race that believe that their identity is still at risk. Another thing I love about this reading is that Esther, in her humility and love for her people, is so close to God. She fasts and prays for three days after she says to her uncle Mordecai that she will respond and do something. She takes the risk of death by approaching an unpredictable man. But first she takes the time to be still and pray with God, to ask for God's wisdom, God's guidance, because she recognizes that she cannot do this in her own strength. What a wonderful lesson for us, that if we are to do good in this world, we cannot possibly do it in our own strength. But first we take time to be still and to pray and to reflect with God. And then, I mean, I told you there's a lot in this reading. There's a lot in this book. And then there is this funny understanding of power and the shift of power which seems to happen throughout this book. It's like a role reversal. The humble made powerful, the first being last and the last being first, very biblical. Esther, as we know, was a woman. She was poor. She was an orphan. She was a Jew. And yet she becomes so powerful and courageous. Haman, on the other hand, seems to go from strength to weakness. Haman had enjoyed a rapid rise to power and being a favorite of the king, but his demise was even quicker. In fact, within minutes, he became a convicted criminal. And the very gallows he used to kill another person's life were used for him. The irony of the shift of power. We're told in Proverbs 16, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. His pride was what brought about his own outcome, the shift of power. If we're going to serve others, we do it from a place of utter humility, a place of love, which is the new commandment. It's not to say we don't fail or we don't do bad things along the way, but at those crucial moments when we need to make a decision, like Esther, what do we do? This happens so much in books and films. I don't know if you've noted that, no, noticed this. That often in a book or a film, there is a power shift. And it can happen in one of two ways. Either the protagonist decides to make a radical change, 
or someone decides to make the change for him or her. The latter, of course, is worst for the protagonist because they are then rendered helpless, much like Haman. When the protagonist finds their own power compromised, what he or she chooses to do next is so important. When the power is lost, this is when we largely determine the shape of any story. I'd like to tell you a very quick story, because I know I'm running out of time, about the Wicked Witch and the Onion. Some of you may have heard of it. It's a good one for kids. Remember this. So, there was a Wicked Witch in, in hell, in the fiery flames of hell. And she pleaded out to God and said, God, forgive me and remove me from this horrible place. An angel heard her pleas and went to God and said to God, God, we must help this woman. She is pleading and asking for forgiveness. So God said to the angel, go into the book of life. And if you find one thing that this woman did in her life that would help her, then I will save her. So the angel went to the book of life and he looked through the book of life and couldn't find anything. And he looked again and he looked again. And finally, he found one event in the wicked woman's life. One day, when the woman was alive, a homeless person came to her door and asked for some food. The woman went to her garden and plucked up an onion and gave the onion to the homeless person. The angel went to God and told God the story. And God said to the angel, you can save her. So in the fiery flames of hell, the angel took an onion and he lowered the onion down to the woman. The woman clasped the onion with two hands and began to rise as the angel pulled the onion and the wicked woman out of the fiery furnace. Just as she was leaving, I mean, this isn't a true story, I just thought I'd add that. <laughs> just as she was leaving, just as she was leaving the fiery furnace, others began to grab onto her ankles and her legs, and they too were being pulled out of the fiery furnace. The wicked woman realized that other people were benefiting from her, and so she began to shake her feet. And as she shook her feet, they fell, but so did she. And she returned, I know, and she returned down into the fiery furnace. At that moment in our lives, when we are most vulnerable, how we respond shapes the stories of our own lives. And we have so many opportunities at those pinnacle moments, not only to do things in our own strength, but to rely on God, much like Esther, recognizing that she could not do a good deed in her own strength. Mark says, do not stop, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able to... Let me do that again. Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. Our deeds and our actions matter, and our motives matter. God uses this wonderful and exciting story to change lives. There is a word of hope over and against a word of judgment. There is in this story, within its folds, a promise of hope, which is the peace 
that Jesus offers to all of his followers. We are called by Jesus into a cosmic engagement in this world against the powers of evil and injustice and ultimately to serve our neighbor in love. So let's take up the challenge. Amen.